0: Good morning. Good morning, brother. I get to say today, like I get to say every Sunday, that Christ is risen. Amen. And, and that is a blessing. And, and in some ways, that makes my job today the best job in town, because I get to tell you the good news of Jesus Christ. And uh, I want to begin by, first of all, thanking everybody who volunteered yesterday at our big egg hunt. Uh, it was a lot of fun, a lot of eggs, even golden eggs with some money in it, and I failed to retrieve any of those, uh, but it was a good, great day uh, to be together and to bless some children not too far from here and to be good neighbors. And it's good to see all the family and friends here. My heart's warm by seeing a lot of friends and family uh, here today, and so we just love seeing you and we'd love to see you back at any time that you have to be with us and to worship God. Uh, you know, something very special happened at our house last night. It's, it's Easter, you know, and so the Easter Bunny's and There's a lot of excitement in the house. But then, lo and behold, not only did we have the Easter Bunny come, but also the Tooth Fairy came, too, on the same night. And uh, so I got out the old dental floss, and I put it around that tooth, and... It came right out. And so the uh, Tooth Fairy came as well. And East Bunny even acknowledged that she had ran into the uh, Tooth Fairy. So it was pretty cool at my house. Uh, But I want to begin talking about uh, the resurrection because that is what Easter is all about. And, of course, we as a church celebrate that every Sunday. and, And we're so grateful. So this is one of the distinctive things about Christianity is that the teacher rose from the dead, that he's no longer dead. This is one of the distinct things. So the central principle, the central tenet of Christianity is an event. And that's significant, isn't it? That an event in time happened, and because of that event, everything has changed because of that. And there are notable events that have happened in history that because of them we benefit from them. Just like in 1776 when the United States became a country we benefit from that event that happened in time don't we? And so Christianity is based on an event in time that happened that Jesus did not stay in the grave. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that if he remained in the tomb, then we might as well hang it up. Because not only is Christianity based on moral teaching, and and believe me, when you look at the moral teaching of Jesus, it's great. There's no better. But it's also built on the fact of an event that happened. Paul said if the resurrection didn't happen, your faith is futile. He says, if, if the resurrection did not happen, then we are men most miserable. You see, there is no hope without the resurrection. So I want us to begin by, first of all, acknowledging the skepticism that happens with this, that happened in history, that, the fact of the resurrection. Now, for some people, miracles are something that's beyond what they can believe, Right? But if you believe in the Bible, if you believe the first verse of the Bible, which says, in the beginning, God created in the heavens and the earth, then you know that there can be a God to intervene in nature and do what He wants because He created it. So the miracle of the resurrection in the context of Scripture isn't that abnormal or crazy. But let me acknowledge the skepticism that can happen by saying that Jesus rose from the grave. But I want to challenge you on what you think you know. Okay? And I want to begin by telling you this. And I want you to tell me, who am I talking about? Listen to this description very carefully. There were 12 men who were chosen out of all the people of their day to accomplish a great mission. Three of the 12 men were named Peter, James, and John. They walked and they witnessed otherworldly sights and beheld sights firsthand that no one before them or since then has ever seen. They brought a story that was heralded in their time and ever since. But no one has experienced what they saw, what they heard, what they touched. Out of the hundred billion people estimated that have ever lived, only these twelve people experienced this firsthand. We have taken them at their word, and we have historical documents which testify of what they experienced. Who are these twelve men that I'm talking about? What is it? We got the apostles over here. Who else has some? Who's that? The disciples. I'm not talking about the disciples. I'm not talking about the apostles. I'm talking about the 12 astronauts who walked on the Moon. Only 12 people that have ever lived on this earth walked on the moon. Do you believe it? They asked people in England in 2016, they asked 1,003 British people what their belief was. 52% they surveyed thought that the Apollo 11 moon landing was faked. 52%. And those that were of the ages 25 to 34 were the most deluded. Surprise. With 73% of them considering the the whole thing to be a highly elaborate hoax. And by comparison, just 38% of those that were over the age of 55 did not believe that Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin set foot on the lunar surface. Skepticism. But yet... Isn't there an analogy there? But the Bible tells us that not just 12 men witnessed the resurrection. No, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul writes just years later, says, no, not just 12 people, but there were 500 people at one time that witnessed the resurrection of Jesus. What do you think that you know? Some have argued that miracles can't exist because they've never happened before. Well, man has not walked on the moon since about 1972 or 73. Did it happen? Today I want us to talk about the resurrection because we desire a hope, first of all. And we've all been at those funerals. We've all been in those sad situations. We've all been in those states of grief desiring for something more, haven't we? We've yearned for something more and we've wanted something more. Robert Ingersoll, the great atheist, said, life is a narrow veil. This was at his brother's funeral between the cold and barren peaks of two eternities. We strive in vain to look beyond the heights. We cry aloud, And the only answer is the echo of our own wailing cry. From the voiceless lips of the unreplying dead, there comes no word. But in the night of death, hope sees a star and listening love can hear the rustle of a wing. But you ask, what is that wing? What is that love? And Robert Ingersoll could not articulate anything beyond his sorrow and his misery at his brother's passing. But there's things within our own experience that point to something more in life than just death. Number one, we have a detachment from time itself. C.S. Lewis remarked this. He said this, we are so little reconciled to time that we are even astonished at it, how he's grown. We exclaim, how time flies as though the universal form of our experience were again and again a novelty. It is as strange as if a fish were repeatedly surprised by the wetness of water. You see, we have a disassociation with time itself. And even though we live in time, pointing to something more in eternity. Another thing that we have that points us to something spiritual is that we long for something more. Also, the moral order that we find in our lives points to something spiritual, something more. We believe and we know when something is wrong. When we see injustice, when we see a child killed, we understand that's wrong. We have a visceral response that points to a spiritual reality. And can we talk about the value of love? Doesn't that point us to something more than just the physical? Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. The greatest validation, affirmation, vindication of Jesus is his resurrection. So today, I want to share with you six historical facts Six historical facts, and none of these facts are supernatural. I don't have to invoke a miracle on any of these six facts, but these six facts establish a need for an explanation. And you'll find that the only explanation that's the most plausible is that Christ raised. Number one, the number one historical fact. Jesus lived. You might say, well... Why do we have to establish that? Well, because it's a fact. H.G. Wells, the historian, said this, I am a historian. I am not a believer, but I must confess as a historian that the penniless preacher from Nazareth is irrevocably the very center of history. Jesus Christ is the most dominant figure of all time. That's from a historian, not a believer. In fact, how do we mark the years that we live in? Based on the Jesus event and time. What year is it? 2019. 2019 from what? From nothing? From someone that didn't even live? I doubt that. We even have evidence that is corroborated in other writings other than the New Testament. Consider this comparison the emperor of Rome during Jesus' time. His name was Tiberius. Listen to this. Within 150 years of Jesus' life, 42 authors, nine of them secular, write about Jesus. And how many write about the most powerful person in the world in Jesus' time? Ten. And one of those is the book of Luke. To say that Jesus did not exist is absurdity. Number two fact, historical fact, Jesus was crucified by Pontius Pilate. This is also corroborated in other works like Suetonius. And we've even found in archaeology Pilate's Stone. It bears his very name. He is a real governor And he was the real governor in Jerusalem. And then we have to ask ourselves, well, why would anybody make that up? Why would anybody make up the the fact of Jesus dying on a cross? In fact, when it talks about the old law, it says cursed is the one who hangs on a tree. So who's signing up to make up a story about a Savior that dies on a tree publicly humiliated, defeated by the Roman government and His own people? Jesus was crucified. Jesus was buried in a tomb. All of the tradition associated with Jesus speaks to this fact. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, the earliest of the writings. A.T. Robinson said the burial of Jesus in the tomb is one of the earliest and best attested facts about Jesus. Joseph of Arimathea, a member of the Sanhedrin court, and that condemned him. Number four fact. Once again, have I invoked the supernatural on any of these facts? Not at all. Number four fact. The tomb was found empty on Sunday morning by who? by women followers. Now, some may find that insignificant. But the first to see the risen Jesus, the first to to see the empty tomb, were women. Now, for the first century Jewish person, if they were going to, to make the story up in the most believable way possible for everybody to buy into it, They would not have put women at the tomb first. In fact, they probably wouldn't even mention women at the tomb because it wasn't even lawful to receive a woman's voice in a court of law. They weren't even considered a witness during that time. So why would they put women at the tomb, at an empty tomb, if it only complicates the matter for them? The reason why is because women were at the tomb. And it's not just simply to make up a story. Because if they would have made up the story, they would have put Peter and John and James and a good man. Right? That was the attitude of those men at that day. Not my attitude. But but what became potentially embarrassing and awkward for the first century Christians has become one of the greatest proofs that it actually happened. Because women indeed found the tomb empty. Fact number five. There were appearances of Jesus after His public crucifixion. Or there were appearances that were believed to be appearances. We can say it like that. People actually believe that they saw Jesus. There are twelve sightings of Jesus mentioned in the Scriptures. Mary Magdalene. Peter, John, two disciples on the road to Emmaus, the apostles multiple times and then of course the 500 brethren at one time who Paul said who were mostly still alive at the time of his writings. And then we have also James the brother of the Lord who in the gospels is portrayed as guess what? An unbeliever. And then we find him on Pentecost with the disciples. I wonder what could change a brother's mind about Jesus. The resurrection. So Jesus lived. He was crucified. He was buried. The tomb was found empty. People believed that they saw Him. And then the last fact is the extraordinary faith of the disciples to that fact. They really believed That they saw the risen Jesus. That they interacted with the risen Jesus. The same people that walked and talked with Him for three years believed that He was risen. And here's the deal. They died for that testimony. Not from a testimony that was received generationally. not Not a testimony that they received years later or for someone else. Because you do have people that will die for their beliefs, but they are dying for their first-hand belief that Jesus was raised from the grave. Peter, crucified upside down for believing that Jesus was risen. I think you'd probably give that up if it was a lie, don't you? Andrew, crucified on an X-shaped cross. Matthew impaled with spears in Ethiopia and then beheaded. Nathanael whipped to death. Thomas speared to death. Philip impaled with iron hooks. James the son of Zebedee beheaded by King Herod. Simon the zealot crucified. Jude crucified. Matthias stoned and beheaded. Paul beheaded. How many of you would sign up to die for a known lie? I dare say none of us would. But if you truly believe that you interacted and saw the risen Jesus, that would change the way that you thought about death, wouldn't it? If you saw the risen Jesus in your life, if you had that first-hand experience with Jesus, it would change all the rules to death. And that's what they preached. They preached that death has no reign over us because we know the guy that overcame it. And that is the essential good news of the gospel that Jesus spoke the truth and he was divinely vindicated of that. You know, you can tell a lot by your enemies, and you can tell a lot by who Jesus' enemies were the crooked religious people and the Roman government. The most powerful people on earth crucified him, and guess what? You can't bury God. You can't bury God. Simon Greenleaf, the founder of Harvard Law, examined the Gospels. And he came to it as an agnostic, as an atheist almost. And he concluded by looking at the testimony in the Gospels that they were veracious. He said this, listen. Either the men of Galilee, speaking of the disciples, not the astronauts, either the men of Galilee were men of superlative wisdom and extensive knowledge and experience and of deeper skill in the arts of deception than any and all others before or after them. Or they have truly stated astonishing things which they saw and heard. Jesus was raised from the grave. And you know what? That changes everything. Everything. That means that the Bible's true. That there is a God. Because you don't have dead men rising without a God, do you? That means that the law and the prophets are true. That means that the teachings of Jesus are true. That means that your sins can be forgiven. That means Christ is reigning. That means the Gospel is true. That means that the Spirit indwell. That means that there is an afterlife. How do I know? Because there was a guy that came back and told us. Jesus was raised from the grave. And that's why when Thomas, Doubting Thomas saw the risen Lord said this, My Lord and my God. And that's who He is. You can't bury God. Have you obeyed Jesus this morning? If you haven't obeyed Him... He holds the keys to everlasting life. He holds the keys to eternal life. And this historical event in history proves it. That He was raised from the grave. And it's through His death that our sins are atoned. It's through His life that we overcome death ourselves. That's the living hope that Peter talks about in 1 Peter 1.3. It's through His life that we live. He is life and we live. The Bible says that our journey with Christ begins in faith, in believing in who He is, repenting of sins, confessing Him to be Lord, and being baptized, which is the very image of His death, burial, and resurrection. And now, there's a hope. Or maybe you're a Christian this morning and you need prayers of encouragement or healing. Whatever your need is, we stand ready to assist you Won't you come now as together we stand and as we sing.